Good morning. Hey, it is so cool to be back up here. Um, I, I, um, if you're new to, to uh, North Point, I, my name is Rick Rubel. I'm the lead pastor. Uh, during the summer, I've been gone a good deal, and I am so excited about this particular series of messages that's coming up. We start today. Um, the, this summer, the teaching team was together, and we were talking about kind of what's next after, after our Better Together series. And I said, you know, I, I have this sense that part of what we need to talk about as a body, what we need to discuss is that we, we need to talk about we need to talk about healing. We need to talk about forgiveness and we need to talk about grace. I'm not sure how everything fits together, but, but I just have this sense that that's where we're supposed to go. So we began to talk about that and talk about the relationship of those things and kind of how they fit together and. Um, and, and, and then obviously you have a series, you have to have a title, right? And, and so as we're talking through, I said, you know, I think that in all of those things, there's stuff inside of us that just needs to get out. It just kind of needs to figure out how to get inside us out. I said, could, could that work? Could we like, could we use inside out? And Chris said, um, were you aware that there's a movie out right now called Inside Out? And I said, oh, yeah, Pixar, right? And they said, yeah. And so um, I left that teaching team meeting and went home and said to Deb and Micah, guess what we're doing tonight as a family activity? Um, so we went down, uh, we went down to the theater and watched Inside Out. And, and it was an incredible um, portrayal of the emotions that we experience, stuff that's in us. It's about this family. How many of you have seen Inside Out? Some of you. Um, it's, it's one of those that you can recommend. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a neat story about this family that moves from Minnesota to California and, the, and what the girl goes through and how her memories um, impact her emotions, impact her memories in her life. Um, what you see up on, on the side is kind of a, uh, a little bit of inside out. The, the gold circles represent good memories in this little girl's life. The, the green is disgusting stuff that, that she experiences disgust at. Um, the red is anger. And, uh, what was the, the blue was crazy goofiness or something like that. No, no, thank you. There were joys gold. The blue was sadness. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have that in my notes. Couldn't remember. Anyway. Um, so when you see that, just kind of make that connect. I'm, I'm really excited about next week as well as today, uh, really all three, uh, next week we're going to talk about forgiveness and, um, Healing. I want to talk about healing today, but forgiveness is kind of the the next piece in terms of how all that stuff fits together. Um, let me read um, read a, a testimony from somebody here at North Point. Um, we we talk a lot about our sermon based questions that we have. Lots of small groups, lots of life groups are using the sermon based questions. Lots of families are using them to just after the message each week to begin to try and, and dive a little bit deeper to to uh, explore some of the things that maybe were mentioned on Sunday morning and, and to try and process them. Brad is the guy who leads the team that's writing those questions. He's written lots of, of weeks of that, and um, he's, he has the lead on the group. Um, Brad sent me this a number of months ago. Uh, when we were in Acts and just, and just said, hey, if you can ever use this, do. Uh, August 1st, 2000, 
I was in Szeged, Hungary. I was standing with my mother-in-law in the waiting room just outside the surgery room where my wife, Marianne, was having a C-section. Our son, Benjamin, was to enter the world that day, and we were all waiting in great expectation. As we waited, I noticed some commotion. Nurses and staff began to scramble around, and one nurse rushed out of the operating room and passed me holding a small baby that looked pale and gray. That couldn't have been our baby. Complications can only happen to other people, right? We discovered that, the, that Benjamin had a bacterial infection of which the doctors were uncertain which kind. A valve which is supposed to open on his heart after birth didn't open, and our little baby boy Ben was on a breathing machine. The doctors and specialists said that they were unsure if Ben had any brain damage due to lack of oxygen, and they were very concerned and informed us that if the valve didn't open on its own, they would need to do surgery. We were completely shocked. I've never felt so helpless. My heart sunk deep into my chest the first time we saw him. He was lying in a glass-walled incubation chamber. There were tubes and machines hooked up to him, and and the breathing machine was set at 80%. At the time, Brad says, I was a minister. We had planted a campus ministry and a church in the city of Shezed. My faith was strong. I knew without a doubt that God could heal my son, so I prayed. I prayed, and I prayed. Others were obviously praying... Uh, Others were obviously praying, both here and in Hungary. On day four, which seemed like week four, the cardiologist spoke with Marianne and I and said, things aren't changing. You need to prepare yourselves for the worst. That night I was on my knees in, in the spare bedroom when I felt God leading me to have a public night of prayer. On day five in the evening, we invited numerous friends over for a prayer meeting. Before the meeting began, I spoke Before we begin praying for Benjamin, if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't believe that God can heal my son, I want to ask you to leave. God has a plan, and that plan involves our faith and his action. It was a moving, special time. I didn't find out for 12 years, but my brother Pete, a campus minister in Illinois, was meeting with one of my good friends, Joe Belzer, also a campus minister then in Missouri, to pray at the exact same time without knowledge of our meeting. The next morning, as we entered the ICU, we were greeted by the cardiologists and numerous smiling faces of the nursing staff. Our son was out of the incubator. The head nurse explained that during the night, Benjamin had grabbed the breathing tube by his mouth and ripped it off and began breathing on his own. Results had come back that the antibiotic they treated him with was the right kind. Results also came back that there were no signs of brain damage. And the valve to his heart had finally opened. What do you, yeah, that's cool. What do you do with that? What do you, what do you do with, with, with stories like that? Is the timing coincidental? Is the healing coincidental? If, if you believe in God, if you believe that God hears our prayers and answers them, you believe that he cares about the details of our life and that he wants to be involved at every level, you say, that's the God I know. That's the God I serve. And isn't that incredible? Isn't he awesome? Amen? 
If you're a skeptic, and, and if you're here today and a skeptic, that's okay. If you're a skeptic, you say, well, the antibiotics finally kicked in. They were, they were going to kick in anyways. They did just what they're supposed to do. And you downplay God's role significantly in that process. But it really does make you wonder, doesn't it? Could God really do that? Does God really work that way? If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 5. Take them out, go there, John chapter 5. We're going to look at, at one incident of healing in the life of Jesus. Um, it's an incident that takes place in Jerusalem. And, and let me just give a little bit of context before we jump into that scripture. Um, Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's about a year into his ministry. Um, most of that first year has all taken place in Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, the small towns um, and, and on the coast there. It's about 70 miles from Jerusalem. And so he's not spent a lot of time in Jerusalem up, up to this point. And, and um, this is actually the only account of this that we have. John is, is the one who tells this story. He says this, after this, there was a great feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool when the water's stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Let's do just a little bit of background. Um, the, the pool of Bethesda that, that, that this describes, the location is a place that was, that was probably unknown from somewhere around uh, four to 600, somewhere in there, maybe as late as 800, some stuff happened and the, and the evidence of the pool went away. And so from roughly 800 until 19, until the early 1900s, there was no evidence in Jerusalem of this particular place. So when Bible scholars looked at this, they said, Uh, You know, we can't find this pool of Bethesda thing. Maybe it was an underground spring that it's talking about. We're not really sure. One of the commentaries that I use with some regularity was written in the early 1900s. And the commentator guy I respect a ton said, hey, we don't know about this. We think maybe it was this spring fed thing that went underground. Um, We just don't know. And in the early 1900s, archaeologists in Jerusalem discovered this pool. They began to unearth some stuff. A bunch of debris had filled in um, from the Byzantine area. And they began to unearth this thing. And they said, hey, this is, this is a, a big pool. There's water that comes in here. It's a, this one piece is two-sided. And as they began to unearth that area, they found five columns and a five-sided pool. This is not very far from what's known now as the Lion's Gate in Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, you can see this gate around the city. It has a big lion on it. In the time of Jesus, the Lion's Gate was known as the Sheep Gate because it's the place that the Israelites brought their sheep before they were sacrificed at the temple. What they discovered um, fits this description in John 5 exactly. 
colonnades, five porches that are there, the pool, the, the people there. The tradition of, of the, that existed in the first century, um, uh, before I get to the tradition, if you're looking at your scriptures, did anybody say, hey, wait a second, something's weird in that. Because if you look, you see verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, and what? Verse 5. Where'd verse 4 go? Where'd verse four go? Here's the, here's the deal. We talked about this in, an, in another account in the, in the Gospels a little bit ago. So what happened uh, to verse four is that it's not in the oldest translations. It's not in the oldest manuscripts that we have. And what we think happened was um, uh, a scribe wrote in the margins to try and explain the rest of this passage, to explain what was going on because they understood what had happened at that point. And as the copies were made, that got copied into Scripture before the verses were added, which, which happened later. And so because the oldest manuscripts don't have it, um, they took that out in, in, uh, in uh, newer translations. But this is what it says. This is what verse 4 says. It says, The blind, lame, and paralyzed lay under the columns, under the porches, waiting for the stirring of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down into the pool at appointed seasons and stirred up the water. The first one to go in after the water was stirred was healed of his disease. Now, again, that's not in the oldest manuscripts, but that was the belief system that happened in the first century. Now, I don't know. We don't know if that is actually what happened. If an angel came down and stirred the water, we don't know if maybe there's some there was some seismic stuff that stirred the waters and, and that happened periodically. But the Jews in the first century believed that that um, when the water was stirred, the first one into the water got healed and everybody else was a loser. Uh, that doesn't seem consistent with the rest of the of scripture in the way that God heals. But if God chose to do that in the first century, God's God. And he's allowed to do it. Any uh, anything that he wants in whatever way he wants. Um, so around this pool, there are all these people that want to be healed, right? There are all people who are sick and affirmed, can't do stuff, blind people. Yeah, the, the place Bethesda, the name Bethesda mean, ha, means house of grace or house of mercy. There's a secondary um, translation for that that could mean disgraced or, or a lack of mercy. Uh, because what it pictured was that was the place where all the people who were outcast from society because of their physical infirmities would go. They would hang out there waiting for the water to be stirred. Um, the, what we know about this particular guy is that he had had this particular infirmity, that, that he had, had been an invalid for 38 years. The language seems to suggest that it's not something that he was born with. The, this is not somebody who's 38 years old. Maybe it was something that happened when he was a kid. He got a disease and, and it impacted his, his um, legs may have been that, that he was a workman, that, that he had been involved in some kind of accident as a laborer and had been disabled as a result of that. But he could remember what it was like to walk and run. He could remember what it was like to travel and to come home again. He could remember what it was like to serve and be useful. And for 38 years, he'd been stuck in a body that didn't work. Jesus comes up to him. And he asks a question that's an interesting question. He says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to get well? The noted theologian Steve Martin said this. A day without sunshine is like, you know, night. You know, that's kind of an obvious question, isn't it? Do you want to get well? It's kind of like, 
It's kind of like going to Pizza Hut and asking, do you serve pizza here? Um, Like asking if Sharknado is a documentary. Um, Like asking if Donald Trump's hair is a comb over. Uh, You know, it's just an obvious question. It seems so obvious the guy's waiting there at the pool to, to, to get into the water. The water's supposed to have um, healing power. Why did Jesus ask him? Why did, why did Jesus ask him if he wanted to get well? Did Jesus not know? You know did Jesus not know that he wanted to get well? I, I don't think so. Did Jesus just want to break the ice and start a conversation with, with this guy that he didn't know? Or did he want him to really consider what he what he was there for? That man recognized that he was sick for 38 years had been sick. And the man understood that he needed help to get well. He couldn't get in the water by himself. I think the reason that Jesus asked was because he wanted this man to consider how different his life could be if he were healed. He'd be responsible for himself if he were healed. He wouldn't be dependent on his friends anymore. He'd, he'd have a whole new set of problems. He'd have to get a job. He'd, he'd have to do all the things to take care of himself. But he'd have a whole new set of opportunities as well. Life would be radically different for him. Was he ready for that? The, the biographies of Jesus, the Gospels, tell us that Jesus healed the sick, the diseased, the infirmed, the lame, the blind, that he, he, the demon-possessed, that he even brought the dead to life. Nothing was too difficult for Jesus. There was nothing that he could do. God has the ability to heal any weakness, any addiction, any sin, any pain, any illness. And God was going to demonstrate that through Jesus, through this man at the pool of Bethesda. Verse 8 says, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, John says, and he took up his bed and walked. What's it mean to be healed? The dictionary says it means to be sound or healthy again. It means to be restored to wholeness. It means to have something broken, repaired. Our bodies can need healing, right? That was the case with this guy at the pool. They, they can need healing from illness, from injury, from abuse, from some kind of traumatic event that's happened in our past. Not just our bodies, though. Our thoughts, our thought system, the way that we think can need healing. Our self-esteem, our self-image. Our relationships can need healing, right? They can be broken. They can, uh, they can be damaged severely. Some, for some of us, I think our view of God can need healed. We have this picture of God that's not a picture of God from Scripture, And we need that view of who God is repaired and made whole. Our past, stuff in our past can leave us broken and in need of healing. I want you to put yourself in this story now. 
for you to be at the pool alongside this, this guy at the pool of Bethesda and to recognize that we're all sick. We all need help to get well. Our bodies can need, can need he- healing. Our, all those things. Um, we all need to get well. And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? I think the first part of that process that, that process is to recognize our sickness. It, it may be this morning that you have a physical illness, that you've got a disease, that you've got some lingering physical condition that's going on inside your body that's been there for a long time, and, and physically you need healing. It may be that your sickness is that you've got hidden sin in your life, stuff that's going on that nobody else knows about, you may think nobody else knows about, you're trying to cover it up, and that's happening inside your life. It may be that there's sin from your past that's there that needs healed, that you've never really confessed, that you've never really dealt with. Some of us have learned to live with our illness, and we think that it's normal, right? We think that that's the case for everybody. Um, uh, About a, a little over a year ago, I had an incident that 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 is illustrated by this completely. Uh, probably a couple of years ago, I started this process of um, as we'd eat periodically, um, something would get caught in my throat, and uh, and it would take a little bit of time, and I'd have to kind of cough to try and get it to come up or to go down. But the, there would be stuff that would get caught in my throat. Now, my kids thought this was great fun. Um, they would make fun of me at no end to go through the coughing thing. So one time I got a call uh, on the telephone and they said, you can't take that. <coughs> you know, going through this process of, of trying to get the stuff up. But it, I, I had that happen four or five times. It was no big deal. Didn't think anything about it. You know, it kind of went, went through that process. On June 13th, 2014, we went to KFC, brought the chicken home, sat down, eating dinner. And as we're eating dinner, um, I got this piece of chicken stuck in my throat and I could talk and stuff. They said, are you okay? And I said, there's chicken in there. And, um, you know, we go, we go through this process and they said, uh, are you okay? I said, yeah, I can talk. I'm not going to suffocate. You know, nothing, nothing like that. I'm not choking, not turning colors, any of that thing. Um, it's going to be okay. So I go back and I do some work to try and get to go either up or down. And it doesn't. I come back out, sit down. Deb says, do you need to go to the doctor? I said, nah, it's okay. It's happened before. You know, I'm, it's going gonna, it's gonna to move. It's no big deal. So we sat. I sat through dinner, couldn't eat or drink anything because there was this piece of chicken stuck in my throat. Um, after dinner, we go in, still can't eat or drink. It's not moving at all. And, um, we watch a movie or did something. We're out in the living room. Deb said, do you need to go to the doctor? Um, and I said, no, it's okay. It's happened before. It's not that big a deal. They, you know, this just happens to people. It's, it's normal, right? And, um, long story short, later that night, go to bed or lay down in bed. Piece of chicken still stuck at that point. Um, when I laid down, it causes those muscles to spasm. That causes some pain um, laying there. And I can't swallow. I can't swallow. So you're dealing with all the saliva stuff. That's, I don't want to get too graphic there, but you, you all understand that. So I go out and um, get out of bed, go out and sit in the recliner. 
um, spend the whole night in the recliner because in the recliner I'm comfortable, but that piece of chicken is still not moving. And uh, next morning, uh, wake up, Deb comes out and says, do you want to go to the doctor? And I said, eh, I think you probably ought to call the doctor at this point. It's been, you know, 12 hours or whatever. So I go to the doctor. The doctor sees me. We talk for about 30 seconds. He says, you're going to the ER. There's a GI doc there that's going to extract this piece of chicken. Goes through the process, takes the piece of chicken out. And he says to me afterwards, he said, hey, here's the deal. Um, we took pictures when we took the chicken out. Everything in your throat looks like you have eosinophilic esophagitis and that you have celiac. And I said, yeah, right. No, I don't think so. It's probably just inflamed because of the chicken that was stuck there. Go back uh, several days later, go through the whole process again. They do the whole test and they say, yeah, here's the deal. You have eosinophilic esophagitis and, um, and, and celiac. And so that has impacted me ever since. The reason I tell you that story is to say this. We all are as stupid as I was, Right. There is sickness in our life that we normalize, that we say, ah, it's no big deal. Every, everybody, everybody has broken relationships, right? Everybody has stuff from their past that they haven't really fully dealt with. Everybody carries hurt. Everybody, my sickness is just like everybody has that. That's normal, right? And Jesus says, do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? Some of us have, have just come to accept that our stuff, that sometimes that we think that we deserve it because of choices that we've made in the past, that God would never want to heal us because our understanding of who God is, that doesn't match up with. Maybe our choices cause our condition. Maybe we just don't believe that God wants to. Some of us may not want to experience healing Because our sickness, our weakness, and our pain defines us. That sickness, pain, um, that weakness has shaped our personalities. It's shaped who we are as as a person. And to have that change, to experience healing, that's way too scary. It's incredibly good news, but it's scary to think about what life would look like if this were not a part of my life. Uh, A few months ago in a message, I told you a story about, about Deb. Deb had a condition called multiple chemical sensitivities. Her body didn't process chemicals. So she would get she would get very, very sick whenever she encountered somebody wearing perfume, scents from shampoo, airborne chemicals, all that kind of stuff. You may know some people like that. Um, That lifelong issue. And and several years ago, she said, you know what? I feel like God is calling me to go to the elders and ask them to pray for me and to anoint me with oil. And um, and I said, absolutely, let's let's go do that. And um, and she shared that with a few close friends. And the friend said, are you, are you sure you want to do that? Are you are you going to be OK if the elders pray for you, they anoint you with oil and you're not healed? Are you going to be OK with that? And I remember Deb's response. It was real clear. She she said, um, yeah, I'm okay with that. That's the way I've been living for, for decades. What I'm not sure I'm ready for, what happens if he heals me? If God heals me, everything in my life will change. How I do ministry, how I relate with the rest of the world, all of that will change 
if I'm healed. And that's scary. You get that? Jesus says, do you want to be healed and recognize that if that happens, everything will change? Um, I, I just want to run through some through some things right now to help us understand, to contextualize the whole healing thing. Um, how do we experience healing? The, this is the first and most important thing. Um, it's to understand all healing comes from God. All healing comes. Say that with me. All healing comes from God. It doesn't matter how you get there. All healing comes from God. It's not because of anything that we do ourselves. It's not because, um, you know, we take magic happy pills or anything like that. All healing comes from God. Even if he's working through doctors, he's the one who's given the doctors the knowledge. Even if he's working through medicines and drugs, he's the one who gave people the knowledge to understand that when those drugs interact in our body, they'll have a certain kind of effect. God is the author of all healing. So if all healing comes from God, how's he do it? Sometimes he, sometimes he uses a combination of faith and prayer. Um, the Coco story, uh, it's a clearly a, uh, an opportunity for faith and prayer, for people to just pray for healing. Um, oftentimes, we pray that God would heal us, that God would heal um, someone else, and God responds to that. If you've got your Bibles, turn to James chapter 5, and let me just share a, a scripture re- real quick there. Um, James 5 verse 13 says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. James describes the prayer of faith and and having the elders pray for people, anoint them with oil. Is there anything magic in that? No, but it's an act of obedience as God uses the spiritual leaders of the church to pray for people. When we pray, when we ask in faith, God responds to that and provides healing. Understand this. Let me, let me just say this out front. If, if there's an area of your life where you need healing, feel free to talk to the elders, to ask the elders to pray for you and to anoint you with oil. That's not just a, I've got cancer and I'm going to die kind of thing. Okay? That's not into life stuff. The elder, that, that's for whatever God calls you to. And, um, and the elders embrace and take that responsibility very seriously um, that, that God would, would choose to use us in that way. Sometimes... Um, Sometimes it's through faith and prayer. Sometimes um, it's through the Holy Spirit as he convicts us of sin. Because some sickness, not all sickness, some sickness has at its root sin in our lives. If you're still in James 5, uh, starting in verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Sometimes in our lives, sin manifests itself in in physical sickness. Sometimes sin in our lives impacts our relationships. It It impacts all kinds of aspects of our life. 
And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of that sin so that healing can take place. So God may use prayer of faith. He may use the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. Um, he may use recovery support groups. At, at North Point, we have a, a couple of, of support recovery groups, report, uh, recovery support groups. One is Celebrate Recovery. It's a, it's a group that meets on Thursday nights here at church every week to deal with hurts, habits, and hang-ups, things that are so entrenched in our lives that we can't just make a quick fix, flip a switch, and have everything better. Celebrate recovery. Recover, um, recovery support groups are groups like our, um, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Sexual Addicts Anonymous. It's, it's this process of dealing with stuff and, and having the ability to go through and to work a little bit at a time to, be, to experience God's healing. If you, if you have stuff that's entrenched in your life, that you, that you just feel like you can't get traction on, man, CR is a great place to go. Um, another one of our recovery support groups is called Awaken. It's a group for women that have, that have experienced abortion in the past. That may have been a whole bunch of years ago. But that, but that peace has never really been dealt with. And it manifests itself in, in all kinds of ways, even years later. Um, Awaken, is a, is a, they're getting ready to start a new session. And let me just say, um, the, the healing that happens, if that's been in your past, when, when you allow that in a small group of women who've experienced the exact same thing, to work through that is incredible. Uh, it's just incredible, the healing that takes place at that level. Um, Sometimes God uses recovery support groups. Sometimes God uses relationships, our family relationships, our communication with our spouse. Um, sometimes he uses, it, uh, he uses relationships in the context of life groups. It's part of why we're so committed to people being um, involved in life groups. Because in a life group setting, you have the ability to come alongside people, do life together, and to allow them to speak light into dark places in your life. They have the ability to be a mirror that shines into your life. And God uses that to bring healing. Understand, God is the source of all healing, but he uses lots of different ways to help that happen. God may use doctors to bring physical healing into your life. Understand that's from God. That's not, it's not the magic of doctors. God, God is the one who, who gave them the ability to do that. And God is the one who's doing the healing. It may be that if you're dealing with mental health stuff, that God uses counselors, psychologists, um, meds in the process to help you work through that stuff and to bring healing in your life. God is the source for all healing you don't need to apologize for that. God can use them to help bring healing in your life. You know, one of the things that's tough in a message like this is, is the reality that God doesn't always heal, right? Sometimes we pray and nothing happens and we have to kind of make sense of that. Know that that's not, that that's not isolated with you. That's consistent with Scripture. Second Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul 
Um, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, the, uh, the uh, letters, especially, um, he tells his own story. Second Corinthians 12 says this, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that I've received, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly for my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses with insults, with hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Understand that if God says no, he has a greater plan, a bigger picture that we can't understand necessarily at this point in time. Understand, too, that not all healings happen the same. Sometimes in Scripture, healing was instantaneous. At this point, Jesus said, you're healed, pick up your bed and and walk, and the guy does. Sometimes it seems like the healing was contingent upon the person being obedient or the person having faith. God works in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes it happened right where they were. Sometimes it happened miles away. Not all healings take place in the same way. It's so easy when we talk about healing to just think in terms of our physical bodies, right? Um, Understand that God cares about our bodies. God cares about our bodies a lot, but our bodies are only going to last 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 years. Our souls are going to last eternally. Our souls are never going to die. And so the healing that God wants to bring into our lives, yeah, it takes place in the physical realm, the physical stuff. But what he wants more than anything is to heal our souls. It's to heal what's going on inside us. Isaiah prophesied years before Jesus went to the cross, and he said this, The Savior was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds were healed. By the wounds of Jesus on the cross, we can experience healing. Is that talking about physical? Yeah, I think there's a physical application to that. But he's talking so much more about our spiritual condition, our relationship with God. Jesus went to the cross, not so that our bodies could just be made well. Jesus went to the cross so that we could experience healing from the inside out. Why did Jesus spend so much time healing when the people that he healed would all ultimately die? Think about that for a second. Lots of the New Testament is about Jesus' interaction with people, healing the lame, healing the blind. And they all died. They all died. Why did he spend so much time doing that? Because when God shows his power by healing, either physically or spiritually, it draws people to him. It, it helps them 
ask those questions about who God is. This is the rest of the Coco story. Brad, Brad wrote this. It was Mariana's best friend who was not a Christian then, but has since given her life to the Lord who said it best. This is after they had prayed, after um, the, the repair had been done in his heart, after he had pulled the breathing stuff out and he's breathing on his own. Um, her friend said, I don't care to attend any Bible studies that you have, but if you ever have another prayer meeting, let me know. That was the response Brad says I was looking for. More importantly, I believe it was the response that God was looking for. She was literally sitting on, in a front row seat and had witnessed the power of God. She didn't want traditional teachings. She didn't want any fancy three-point sermons. She didn't want robes and painted ceilings on, in traditional churches. She wanted what everyone in the world wants, to experience the power of God in their life and in the lives of those around them. The ironic thing is that's exactly what God wants too. So the question is, do you want to be healed? Do you want to experience God, God's healing in your life? Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to talk just a little bit more. But when I stop, I'm going to just invite anyone who wants to to come down front and to pray for healing. Um, coming down front gives you the ability to say, God, yeah, I'm here completely at your feet. And I would encourage you, to, if you need physical healing, come down front. If you need relational healing, come down front. If you need healing in any aspect of your life, stuff from the past, whatever, you know the Holy Spirit's working. You know what's going on. I just invite you to come down. I think we all probably could come down front, you know, because we all need healing. If you choose not to and you, and you're, and you stay kind of in your seats, I, I just want to ask you, if you would, to focus on one or two people who are up here. In your mind, think, oh, yeah, that guy that's down on this side, that woman that's over here with blonde hair, whatever. Focus on that person and, and pray for them. Pray that God would release his healing power and, and bring healing in their lives in whatever way it needs to take place. If you're so led, I'd invite you to come down and to put your hands on somebody who's down here and to pray for them. Pray, you can do that with multiple people. There's not anything magic in that, just like there's not anything magic in the oil that James talks about. But it's this sense of we're, we're asking God to work through us, to channel his power through us to these people and that they might experience God's healing. I want you to stand up if you would. And if you, want, if you need healing, I, um, whatever area, just go ahead and come on down right now. Um, just feel free to go ahead and do that. And if you're in back, you could just kind of identify somebody that's down here, maybe one or two people that you can pray for. If you want to come down and, and, and place your hands on them and pray for them, go ahead and come on down at, at this point. I, I want to ask you to just pray, if you would, to, to, to uh, pray out loud, whether that's a whisper or a voiced prayer. 
to do that because it helps us keep focused as we pray. We're going to spend the next several minutes doing so and I just, just start to pray. Pray that God would work.